As superhero movies are becoming mainstream entertainment at theaters around the world, comic fans also have plenty of heroic action on the small screen to keep them sated while waiting for the next blockbuster. We are in a golden age of superhero television shows, with plenty of offerings from both the Marvel and DC universes, and the trend shows no sign of slowing down. To chronicle these recent shows and even examine some of the classics, we are proud to present Weekly Heroics, a two true freaks guide to heroes on TV. In every podcast, we'll be doing recaps of individual episodes of one Marvel show and one DC show until we catch up to them or some supervillains shut us all down. My name is Scott McGregor, and I'm the fastest podcaster alive. That's what she said. And I'm Chris Tyler, one of your agents of cool. To bring you this podcast, we each have to become someone else. We each have to become something else. Welcome to another Weekly Heroics, uh, Two True Freaks Guide to Heroes on TV. And that's us. I'm Scott McGregor, Scott 2.0. I'm joined by the hair metal hero, Chris Tyler, as always. Hello, Yo! Sir. Hey! And um, we've got a, uh, a pretty good double bill episode here for you today. We're um, kind of two keystone episodes in these two shows. We're doing uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for you, Season 1, Episode 11, called The Magical Place, and the Season 1, Episode 6 of The Flash, which I think is kind of... I don't have the title right in front of me, but you probably... The Flash is born. Yeah, so there you go. So kind of big uh, big happenings in both of these, and very dense um, episodes as well, or at least six pages on the old recap dent. <laughs> Sorry, so I apologize in advance for mine. <laughs> uh, and we also have some housekeeping. We have another email, so thank you for that. And uh, so we'll get right to that. It's from our friend David Pascarella again, who will be a guest on this show eventually, although emails are not required for that. Uh, dear Scott and Chris, consider me guilted. Yeah, you continue to put out a great podcast, and the least I can do... <laughs> I, I've forgotten we've done that. The least I can do is answer your call for email with a few comments on episode 11. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode 8 is probably one of my favorite thus far. Thor The Dark World is my least favorite of the Marvel movies. Here, here. <laughs> I'm not saying I dislike the movie, just isn't one of my favorites. I did enjoy that this episode uh, tied directly into the aftermath of the film and solidified the con- continuity of the shared universe. The idea of Asgardians residing on Earth for centuries in secret was a great concept, and that he would simply been a regular Joe of Asgard added a touch of realism. Yeah. Mr. Peter McNichol, if we remember. Classing up everything he's in. Yep. <laughs> Not everyone from Dallas is uh, J.R. Ewing. He stayed there. <laughs> yeah. A good analogy. Uh, the reveal that there is no uh, that there is more to Ward than I originally thought was a nice bit of foreshadowing as well. Arrow is consistently entertaining and advancing the storyline. Two minor nitpicks on this one. Uh, 2.6 million seems like a uh, substantial amount of money to have disappeared from a corporation without there being a paper trail. 
Yeah. Well, when you when when you're when you're banging the the chief, the CEO, it's it, yeah probably a little bit easier. Yeah, you know, and our government loses billions all the time, so might not. You don't think they spend five thousand dollars on a hammer, two thousand right. dollars on a toilet seat? <laughs> If it was uh, wholly privately held, the corporation, uh, if it was, oh, there we go. If it was wholly privately held, I could see Moira being able to transfer funds easily and without making her reasons known, but a corporation with shareholders and yeah. a board, I don't think you can do that. No, 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 no. So, so shame on you, um, Arrow Legal Counsel, you know, consultants on the show, I guess. Well, maybe we could say in this fantasy world, um, Maybe it's just easier for things to go missing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's the whole comic science thing. Comic accounting, I guess, in this, this case. <laughs> There's a podcast right there. Comic accounting. <laughs> yeah. How much did Tony really spend on his first suit? And his, Scraps. Uh, yeah, actually, there's a website that figured that out at one point, too. How much, you know, Batman and Iron Man spend on their various toys. Like, because some nerds have that much time on their hands. Second, uh, <laughs> sorry, it go does, ahead. doesn't matter. T'Challa can just out buy all of them. Yeah. Because, you know, he's the richest. <laughs> Second nitpick, as you said, the password was a bit of a joke. Um, might as well have been one, two, three, four. I was I kept thinking of space balls. <laughs> one, with, two, three, yeah, four, five. Or the code to the defense shield was one, two, three, four. It's kind Her of combination hus- idiot has on his luggage. <laughs> yeah. Her husband's name is the code she should use on her luggage. Yeah, exactly. Not a secret storage facility. Still a great episode overall. You gentlemen are doing a great job. Uh, glad you are covering Supergirl. Looking forward to the next episode. Sincerely, David A. Pascarella. Thank Thanks, you, David. Dave. And you are hereby f- resolved from ever having to email us again, sir. We're sorry we, we guilted you into another The contractual one. obligation is over. Anything else would just be a bonus. Yeah, so you, you can pay us back by being on the show now. That That's your, the best way you could honor us at this point. But we do appreciate you listening, Dave. Thank you. So, without further ado, we'll get into the boring part of the show. Um, but uh, <laughs> so, as I was writing this, I'm just like, stop writing in my own head, and I just couldn't. Um, so, yeah, it was a dense episode. But here we go: Agents of Shield, season one, episode eleven, the magical place. Uh, we get a sad Ron Glass ca- uh, cameo in the previously on part of the show. Yeah. And uh, we get to him later, too. We open right after with uh, someone trying to fence a piece of Chitari technology. Suddenly, uh, not a Roomba slides across the floor and explodes. Flash grenade. It's a shield raid. We get some great May Ward ass kicker stuff, and they chase the bad guys. Uh, May kicks it to Fitzsimmons, who have their flying drone army cut him off. And then we get some sky super hackery. And one of the bi- bad guys herded to the roof where a tactical team and Victoria Hand are waiting. And she tells him he's going to help them find a friend opening logo. Now, I thought this was kind of like, it felt like almost a James Bond movie opening. And, and they do this well. A little bit. And then um, yeah. it was a great scene of the whole team working together, doing their various things, you know. So it's not just science nerds in the, in, in the lab all the time or, or Sky at a computer, you know, where they're showing that they all do have their part to play in, in catching the bad guys. Oh, yeah. So that was neat. Anyway, they're hoping the guy that they just caught will help lead them to uh, Coulson, who, remember, was in the hands of Centipede, so they can ask him questions about his resurrection. The team uh, attends a briefing by hand, which uh, states that they found the remains that matched Mike Peterson. 
Victoria's hell bent on taking down Centipede, and the team kind of goes and get Coulson, right? Right? Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Suddenly, there's a hacker warning. Of course, it's Sky who is trying to track Centipede's money trail to find Phil, and she's told to leave by uh, by Victoria, but begs to be allowed to help. Um, and Ward even sticks up for her and tries to convince her to let Sky help. Uh, and she yep. asks May for her opinion. May basically throws. I actually wrote Daisy here. I meant Sky under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. Uh, or off the bus, as the case may be here. Uh, Ward offers to debrief Sky. I'll bet he does. Uh, <laughs> yeah, before yeah, she's yeah. booted, Fitzsimmons gives Sky a sandwich, quotes, uh, slash satellite phone, so she can call for help if she needs it. And Ward basically lets her escape, and the indication is so she can go help Phil from the outside. You know? Yeah. Good call. Mm-hmm. And our next scene is Phil getting pampered in Tahiti. It's a magical place. <laughs> and then we quickly are shown uh, where he really is, which is, of course, creepy centipede lab with Poe, who has been using some kind of truth machine uh, torture device to dig for answers about Phil's death. Uh, Coulson is defiant, but Poe is ragging on him about Mike's death and states that the clairvoyant can't see past Phil's death, so the torture continues. Sky is in a coffee shop hacking away until her little wrist alarm goes off there, and she gets a lead, and she's pursuing a guy named Lloyd Rathman, uh, using her super tech skills. Uh, Fitzsimmons are working on a new night-night bullets, and Ward is getting frustrated with the interrogation. Um, they're not getting anything out of the guy. So Sky opts for the less stealthy tactic of crashing Rathman's car that she stole earlier and yeah. roadside service to tow her home. Very clever girl. Phil is thrown into his cell and he's playing possum, making his guards think he's worse off than he is. And then he uh, starts to go to work picking his handcuffs like a good old spy. Yeah. Ward's turn at the interrogation, he basically threatens to airlock the guy out of the bus, and it works, yeah. not surprisingly. Uh, back at the cell, Phil has escaped and takes out his guard and runs outside to learn he's in an old nuclear testing town, complete with the mannequin population. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty neat. Uh, you know, felt like I wish the Hulk had just bounded over it or something. <laughs> yeah. Poe is there and he's taken back and or some, you know, oh, a gamma bomb was once, you know, set off here. So you might, you know, get some skin pigment you're not used to. <laughs> <laughs> Poe is there and he's taken back into custody. Um, or Phil's taken back into custody. Sky, Sky breaks into the rich dude's place and starts snooping, and she's in full super sleuth mode. And he gets home to Sky telling him that she's Melinda May from Shield. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> Yeah, she threatens him. She, she crushes it. <laughs> Following the info that War got, uh, Victoria Hand is dispatching teams to take down Centipede everywhere, and they're hoping Coulson is in Sydney, Australia. Nope, not exactly. No. Hand is wondering aloud to Ward why one agent, Phil, is worthy of such an overwhelming show of response by S.H.I.E.L.D. She even states that Director Fury and Commander Hill want constant updates. So, hmm. Mm. Back to the torture lab. Back to the lab. Phil is all like, my friends will find me before I break. You know, you had to go to that well. Arena comes in and uh, mildly protests the torture, but is outranked by Poe. But suddenly, the clairvoyant calls and wants to talk to Reyna. And she nearly squeezes and takes a phone. And <laughs> then she gives it back to Poe, who is suddenly kill-switched to death through his little eye bomb. Um, Ward, as I guess uh, Reyna's in charge. Ward asks me why she didn't stick up for Sky. 
Uh, but we learned that she was crazy like a fox and that she knew Scott yeah. would be uh, best served working off the plane. So they get a new lead and turn the bus around. Sky's ploy is still working. She's armed with tons of info hacked uh, from the guy. She just keeps throwing out these little factoids, you know, about him. Um, the security suddenly shows up, but Sky gets the upper hand. Reyna takes over the interrogation, and we get a great scene between um, Phil and her. We learn that they obviously want to know how to bring their uh, soldiers back to life, thus the interest in zombie Phil. Uh, the machine they've been using is to help people remember things. So she tries to talk him into doing it voluntarily and plays to his own distrust, distrust about what S.H.I.E.L.D. did to him. Sky searches, uh, Sky searches, leads her to Reyna, and she's off in a stolen sports car. Reyna pushes, uh, the you gave up love for S.H.I.E.L.D. Phil, referencing the cellist that we all know about. Yeah. And Phil starts to waver. He lasts longer against those amazing eyes of Reyna's than I would have. I don't know why I put that <laughs> in the notes. Uh, yeah, melted butter in, in seconds in front of that woman. No contest. <laughs> she finally gets to him when she, uh, references Tahiti and he reflexively responds, it's a magical place. Mm-hmm. And he agrees to go back into the memory machine. Uh, science nerds are hooking Ward up with some anti-centipede tech that will short-circuit them and cause them to go critical. Sky calls Simmons and she proves to have, uh, she proves to have the work, the worst phone improv skills in the world. So May takes over. Luckily, Sky tells them that the, her hunting has found out where Colson is. Agent Hand isn't happy, but lets the team go after Phil, or rather, really doesn't have a choice. Yeah, Ward's just like, I'm taking my team and finding our leader. Back at the Tahiti machine, Phil is going under to remember when he died. He remembers Tahiti, of course, and then we suddenly get Ron Glass yelling, Who ordered this? An assistant says, Director Fury himself. Sky arrives at Nuketown and we is seen by a guard who is promptly hit by the shield car. And the illusion starts to fade from Coulson's memory. Uh, we get a short montage of trippy Phil death memories, including yeah. a flash of some strange writing. And we see he's actually remembering the other lab that he's been in, and Shepard Book is yelling, it's wrong, to his assistant. Yeah. <laughs> and then suddenly we're in a Cronenberg movie. Yeah. Yay. And we see Phil with the top of his skull removed, with some kind of automated surgical machine poking around in his exposed brain. And Phil is begging him that they let him die over and over yeah, that was creepy. Yeah, I, and when I first, you know, I, I was following this from from the the get go when it first came out, and it was it was a great reveal watching it live and being like, whoa, okay, they went there because <laughs> I I didn't know. I mean, there were so many theories about Coulson. You know, they thought he might be an LMD and uh, life model decoy. For those of you not cool with the shield jargon. Um, you know, or there might have been some mystical shit, Thor, who knows. But, uh, yeah, I don't think I expected to see the top of his skull off at all. I really didn't didn't see that one coming. So that was good on you, Whedons, for pulling something weird like that. <laughs> well, he's also screaming, uh, let me die, let me die, back in the present. And this guy comes in and punches Rain out and May unplugs the machine. I guess the rescue that was that easy. Rain is in custody and Phil looks on. He talks to Asian Hand. We find that Centipede has been all but broken all over the world. 
and he thanks the team for saving them, and he removes Sky's security bracelet. Phil tells a concerned Sky that he was exper- what he was experiencing wasn't real; they were just messing with my head. So he's he's holding that pretty close to the vest. Yeah, as you would. Yeah. <laughs> Next, uh, Phil appears in the doctor's car. Uh, Ron Glass once again asks him about Tahiti. And we finally find out a little bit more. We find out Phil was dead for days after uh, the, the Avengers movie, basically. And we find out that uh, Fury himself ordered him resurrected, you know, do anything you can. And the machine we saw was to mess with his memories so he actually wouldn't be aware of how much pain he went through because that would, like, break his, his brain if he yeah. actually experienced it all. Um, so, yeah, they did some pretty weird Frankenstein shit on Phil. But Phil leaves the uh, car after the credit tags our friend Mike Peterson waking up uh, in a bed and finding out that he has lost a leg and sustained uh, some many other horrible injuries. Mm. And suddenly his eyeball tells him to wait for the further instructions. Uh, I know. Hmm. I wonder who could have a cybernetic eye like that in the uh, Marvel Universe and needing of possibly cybernetic limbs. I just can't think of it. But, no, neither can I. Yeah. B- big episode. I mean, I could, but... <laughs> yeah. Definitely a big episode and, and a huge reveal. Uh, not what I expected, and, and I've said plenty, so have at it, sir. Yeah, uh, yeah it's... Um, like you said, it's a meaty episode, and we don't quite get all the answers that we're looking for with... Uh, Director Coulson, which which is good. I mean, it, the the reveal when it comes is pretty earth shattering. I mean, it yeah. does take the. I mean, it sets the course for what goes on in season two. Um, but it's um, yeah, I really enjoyed the last the last run of episodes for the show is is really good. Um, because that like I said that you know that focal point for the show is how did Phil come back? That's really the start of it, and it's and again that's all just ends up being prologue to what the actual swerve in the season is. Yeah. So if you've gotten if you've gotten to this point in the show and you're still engaged in it, it it it'll pay off because it actually does get better. Um, it's great seeing the team actually work as a team, uh, all on the same op at the same time, and. Um, you know, seeing and, and letting Daisy do what she has to do, or Sky, whatever. I can't even keep it straight yeah. now. Uh, letting her do what she can do off the books is really was the only call they had. I mean, they really. I mean, at this point, who do you really know who to trust? Um, which well, will actually classic, come. It's classic trope too. You always have the agent or the cop that goes off the reservation because that's the only way to get things done. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's classic. I said that it felt kind of like a, a Bond thing, and the, I, I love the pacing. And the, the good thing about this episode was that you know we were kind of sold on Centipede being the big bad, you know, maybe for the whole season, but it's pretty much wrapped up here now. <laughs> pretty much half yeah. of the season to, to deal with one subplot like that and and move on and leave plenty of other questions to be answered. And then the thing is, they do get answered. It's, yeah, leave a lot of hanging threads in this show for the first season. No, um, yeah. pretty much they they answer all those dangling plot, plot threads. So. But uh, yeah, the, uh, the the Cronenberg stuff was was a little cheesy in the effects, but it was. Just, I don't mind a little cheesy when I'm watching uh, my superhero shows, yeah. especially where it is such a dark thing, where where it isn't just it wasn't just this 
Yeah, I mean, he was like, you know, clinically dead for a few minutes. No, yeah, he's dead. I mean, and now he's got the proof of that. that he wasn't further just, than I thought they would with the whole brain thing. Like, yeah, wow. he wasn't just dead. He was dead, and it was. I mean, I mean, they never really, they don't dwell too much on the ethical issue of. Is it in somebody else's right to, if you have that ability to bring somebody back from the dead? It does get touched on. Yeah. But it's not really the thrust of this show. Um, but it's, uh, you, you really do f- kind of feel bad for Phil at this stage. Um, yeah. I mean, th- just because of the pain that they put him through. I mean, yeah, he's a great character, but I mean, if we're going to try to put this into a war- real world situation, is he was he really worth doing all that for? I don't know, um, and it's it just kind of comes off as selfish for uh, Fury and, Fury, and yeah. um, for Fury to to want that. I mean, it, we all love the character, but if it's it's a Whedon inspired joint, you know, yeah. th- there's going to be tr- some tragedy. <laughs> well, I would have loved it if they'd set it up, you know, that somewhere down the road they, you know, whatever methods they used on Phil turned him into this. You know, they, they wanted to. There was something in his blood from being stabbed by Asgardian steel or something, you know, that they wanted to preserve. I would have liked it if they'd gone into a little more reason why he's so important, but I think it was, you know, maybe Fury uh, just seeing if it could be done, and, and he was the, hey, I that got a live his, body here. I've always wanted to test this one out. Um, well, that's, I mean, that was his right-hand man, really. <laughs> yeah. And we're not, and we're not, we're not through the the zaniness of what's yet to come for the final reveal of what needed to be done to yeah. to resurrect Phil yeah, Coulson. That goes even farther. Which than is, I it and, would too. and it, well, it bonkers. goes, it goes appropriately bonkers. If we're yeah. going to have a world where, if someone's going to come back from the dead, it's something that is um, not done often because it's extremely difficult and painful. Um, and we get to see why it's extremely difficult. Um, yeah, that's shortly. one of the reasons I want to slap people that, that say this isn't tied to the larger Marvel Universe more because there's something that was literally, like, debuted in this show yeah. coming up soon that, you know, that does have huge ripples for the movie universe. That's a it's hu- yes. even acknowledged, but no, still. <laughs> but it, at some point they could, it's, um, it's a major part of Marvel mythology and it's yeah. really only in the show. Yeah. 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 And they, they, you know, stuff like, uh, as David was saying, just the, the little, the minutia they can address as far as backgrounds from some, about some of the races and stuff that you can't do in a two hour movie. Cause you got yeah. things moving. Uh, that's the the stuff I love, man. The details. But uh, we'll let you get to it, sir. Unless you have more to say about this one. Not really. Um, this this whole run, really through the end of the season, is uh, pretty pretty narrative, pretty uh, character and narrative based. It's not really episode of the week moving forward. Um, so um, yeah, it's just kind of hold on for the end of the ride now because there's a lot of swerves coming and some some good reveals. Makes me sad for the people that didn't, you know, a lot of people say this show started out slow, blah, blah, blah. It hooked me from from day one, pretty much. And I it hooked feel- me from day one, too. It was, I knew it wasn't going to be the movies. Like, I, people, you needed to get that out of your head. It's not going to have the budget. And it's really, I mean, essentially, it's weekly advertising for the Marvel movies. It, mm-hmm. But it has characters that are likable. 
and they do they do storylines in this that you can't really do in the movies because you don't have the time to do them. And I've I've I jumped on board right away with it, and I've enjoyed yeah, the, uh, the whole reason pretty much every minute existed was Phil Coulson, you know, and Greg Greg uh, Clark Greg Clark Greg. That's it. Um, you know, was so well liked from the the early movies he was in that's like, well, man, let's give him a TV show. Yeah, why not? Yeah. I mean, I guess they. I mean, they could have done a Shield show without him. They could have put any group together, but um, it's nice having him as that through line. You know, now he's really he has to remain a secret because you know, what if Iron Man and Thor and the Hulk knew that, and Captain America knew that he was still alive? It would, I do wish that they would deal with that, and it looks like they, they may never do it. I don't think they ever will. I think the closest we're going to get is, like I said, uh, Iron Fist is Clark Gregg's favorite character, so I'm I hoping that it's he, a marketing failure if for no other reason that if he had popped back up in Age of Ultron or something, you know, that might have inspired some people to buy some DVDs or go back and check out why the hell is Phil Coulson still alive? Yeah, I just I, I the, feel sad for the people that don't know that he's even I alive. just think that's that's just the thing, you know, the 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 TV and the in the movie production houses are just never the twain she'll meet other than having offhand references so what can you do um it doesn't it doesn't uh temper my enjoyment of any of it nope nope but doesn't need to listen to us we're we're smarter than them sometimes we're the fans damn it <laughs> uh, well everything everything marvel's doing in terms of the movie seems to be working so i don't think they need to take any advice from anybody yeah, I'm, this I'm time not, you know. They're, they're 14 movies in, and really none of them have been failures. No, you know, but they could have maybe made $4.6 billion by now instead of only 4.5. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> that extra uh, 100000 goes a long way. It is. It's craft services for one of the movies. Oh. <laughs> all right. Uh, maybe for the Hulk. I don't know about the whole movie. Uh, <laughs> go for it. Flash. My name is Barry Allen, and I am the fastest man alive. something impossible my father went to prison for her murder then an accident made me the impossible to the outside world i'm an ordinary forensic scientist but secretly i use my speed to fight crime and find others like me and one day i'll find who killed my mother and get justice for my father i am the flash all right, we are in uh, the world of detective comics on TV now, and we're switching over to the CW, and we're going with season one, episode six of The Flash, titled The Flash is Born. This is uh, still early on in the run here, and uh, we start off the episode with Iris doing her whole online blogging thing about the streak. Flash actually stops by and tells her again to stop writing about him. And she says that she doesn't like the name. When he says he doesn't like the name The Streak, Iris asks what name he wants, and he responds, anything but The Streak. I know, it sounds like a Ray Stevens song. Was that who it was, Ray Stevens? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Call him The Streak. Here's my ending song for this show. Thank you, Eric. <laughs> Flash uh, then saves a boy who's almost run over by a man in a Humvee, a god-awful yellow Humvee. The uh, police department's on site. Eddie is there, Eddie Thon. He tries to shoot at the guy, uh, but it fails to stop him. And we see that the guy who was driving the Humvee, has uh, his skin has changed into uh, some sort of metal. It's not Colossus. Um, Flash confronts him, and uh, there's a fight. Barry gets, uh, gets, gets his, uh, his ass beat. 
He's then found on the floor of Star Labs, and he has 13 fractures and other symptoms, which the um, his friends note is a new record. When asked what he ran into, Barry stated it was a guy who could turn into steel and that he sounded familiar. The next day, uh, we're with uh, Joe, and Joe asked Barry what happened, and Barry tells him he got beat up by a metal-plated sociopath uh, saying it looks like he's another metahuman. And there's a meeting that ensues in CCPD, and the man from the day before is identified as Tony Woodward. We then have a flashback of Barry uh, as a much younger kid, uh, you know, like grade school, and there's a bully picking on him for being the son of a murderer, noting that it happened after his uh, father was arrested. Uh, we then uh, cut to Star Labs, and the team comes up with a steel dummy for Barry to practice fighting against. <laughs> it's so cheesy, but it's so great. Barry dislocates his shoulder because of the dummy, and Caitlin um, relocates his shoulder painfully. <laughs> yeah. Tony visits Iris at uh, Jitters. Because what a missed of, opportunity for Barry to go. I saw this in a movie once and do the you know Martin Riggs thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, could you imagine Barry with with Mel's hair? Ooh yeah. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Not uh, a mullet. <laughs> well, I would. Well, I I'd say Mel's was a mullet. But. Sorry. Um, okay, where were we? I'm not saying uh, it. Not saying it. No. What, that Superman had a mullet? Yeah, I'm that's right. I said I'm it. not getting on Bailey's shit list. No. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying it to stir up the pot. Uh, I love the long hair Superman, whatever. Uh, it's, eight, it's like 80s metal Superman. Come on. He's already wearing tights. <laughs> All right, back to the Flash. Uh, so the next day, Tony's visiting Iris at Jitters because of her blog, and he asks if uh, she knows anything about The Flash. Of course, he's not really called The Flash yet. It's off the street. Uh, when he realizes that he's not going to get any information out of uh, Iris, he crushes her phone and leaves her unable to contact Eddie. Caitlin unhappily tells Barry about Iris's new blog post of uh, Iris telling about the visit that Barry had with her recently as the streak. Later, Barry gets beaten up by Tony. Again, <laughs> that he gets beat up a lot. Let's let's. Well, it. well, I mean, he's not super strong. He's super no. fast. Uh, back, back at Star Labs, Wells is angry with fast, Barry. Nobody's laying a punch on me. That's all I'm saying. True. <laughs> Uh, back at Star Labs, uh, Wells is angry with Barry for putting his life in danger again. Barry's frustrated that he's helpless. Uh, that no matter, um, you know when he was young, powers or no powers, uh, that he still can't do anything. Cisco calculates the speed that Barry would need to reach in order to bring down uh, a guy with the uh, metahuman abilities that Tony has and states that it would be um, fun to run faster than the speed of sound. But Barry says that he can't achieve that speed, and Wells uh, implies yet. At the police station, Eddie steps in after Barry tells Joe how bad he feels about Tony, and he asks him to join him in blowing off some steam. And so uh, Eddie is showing Barry how to punch, and um, after kind of goading him on to you know, try to drive his punch through the punching bag, uh, Barry punctures the bag and says that the scene was ripping. <laughs> and this yeah. is after knocking Eddie back a little bit. Joe and Wells have a conversation that doesn't end well. With Joe implying that Wells knows more about metahumans than he's admitting. Meanwhile, 
Tony kid, yeah, Tony kidnaps Iris and asks her to post post about the streak's death and to name uh, Tony the new man on campus. Iris breaks the uh, emergency glass uh, there at the uh, school that Barry and Iris and Tony went to as kids. Uh, she breaks the glass in the school to notify the police. The Flash rushes to the scene, but he, it, no matter what he does, he can't bring Tony down. Barry decides to try Cisco's theory out, and with some inspiration by Joe, he runs out until he's 5.3 miles away. That was the calculation of the straightaway that he would need to achieve Mach 1. In the meantime, the team in the lab realizes what's going to happen with Cisco happily cheering on Barry mm-hmm. and Caitlin not too happy with the idea. So uh, we get, you know, uh, the effects budget for the episode with uh, Barry running at super speed um, and bursting through the doors of the school and dropping the uh, supersonic punch on uh, Tony, which does stagger him and brings him down. Um, And again, he gets back up. But before he has a chance to turn into metal, Iris lays him the F out, (laughs) which is great. Don't fuck with a cop's daughter, man. No. (laughs) So we uh, we go we cut to the uh, the containment lab um, in the particle accelerator where they've been housing the meta meta humans that um, Barry's been defeating, and um, Tony is uh, is not too happy about what's going on, and Barry just can't resist taking off his mask and showing uh, Tony that yeah the kid that you've been beating up that you beat up as a kid he just whooped your ass <laughs> and. Uh, it's totally justified. I know that Barry shows himself to a lot of people in this first season, yeah. but if that was if I was in the same position, oh, and you've been holding yeah, holding resist. holding that grudge since grade school, <laughs> I'd be dropping it too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Barry, I'm knocking you in a hole for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, and then Cisco uh, casually asks, "Whose childhood bully they're going to go after next, Cisco or Caitlin?" <laughs> Uh, so, um, Barry goes to visit Iris and he does make amends with her and, uh, Barry drops some hints at, uh, renaming the streak into the flash and we see Iris updating it on her blog and her follower count increases because, you know, it's TV and they have to show the counter clicking off a bunch more. Uh, so, um, we cut to, uh, Joe bringing some, uh, some high-end booze to Wells at Star Labs as a way to sort of make amends. The um, stinger for this episode is uh, Joe back at home, continuing his search for the real murderer of Barry's mother. Uh, Reverse Flash, the man in the yellow suit, pays a visit to Joe and takes most of the evidence and all the uh, case-related items away, only leaving his notebook there. Joe is then shocked to see a picture of Iris with a butcher knife stabbed through it mm-hmm. with a message saying, uh, stop or else. Uh, so yeah, that's where we're at. So, uh, not only does Joe realize that there was a man in the yellow suit. Now the man in the yellow suit is gunning for his daughter. So where do we go from here? Oh, it can only just pick up speed from here, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yep. Um, so yeah, we finally got the naming of the man. So that was cool. Yeah, it's important. Um, the streak. Yeah, it's like when Clark was the blur in Smallville for yeah, years. Yeah. Like yeah. that got a little tiresome. Um, let's see. Uh, it's it's a pretty straightforward episode, actually. I, I, uh, 
you know, it does still kind of have that uh, metahuman of the week vibe going on. You know, it does what it needs to do on this one too. We we need to actually give this guy the name the Flash, which also well, he got the bully lesson with with Barry. They got to play that one out, so that was neat. Yeah, the bully lesson, the the, the, the flashback. Um, yeah, which I mean, even in the flashback, Iris is beating Barry's ass as a kid. Yeah. It's it's pretty funny. Let's see here, I'm trying to think if there's any particularly good trivia for this one. I mean, the bad guy in its girder, I believe, is the the comic book name. Pretty meh name for a metahuman, yeah, but we whatever. Didn't, that didn't Cisco didn't even really name him this episode, did he? It was just gonna. I don't. Yeah, I don't, he does. I don't recall him dropping the name on. I think when he comes back later, they call him that. But yeah, uh, I did like Cisco's glee at you know at the super Sonic punch. the new powers and everything. Yeah, you know? and we got oh, some, yeah. like windows uh, blown out. That was a good effect scene. We got some windows. I always blown yeah. Out. When they have him go supersonic on the ground and it's shaking cars and knocking the glass out of windows it's great yeah um yeah the way they do the super speed on this has been great since day one uh iris um also wants to get more involved with all the other stuff weird stuff that's going on she talks about the burning man uh in this not the festival yeah (laughs) Uh, but the um you know we we haven't quite gotten there yet either but we will get to the burning man um which is good uh let's see here any other trivia um I, I was warming up to. I started warming up to Eddie in this one. I, I, I like the way I, the actor is playing him. And, you well, know, I never disliked Eddie because Eddie yeah, was a no. nice guy. Eddie's a nice guy. Yeah, and they could have gone. The he's totally he's actually kind of. He's actually it. kind of a dweeb. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> so it's it's kind. It was I, it was never one of those things that it's always better if. <laughs> The potential love interest for your protagonist is with the guy who's a nice guy because, like, you can't hate him. Right, yeah. He's a cop. He does his job the right way. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's a good guy. So what can you do? Well, like, he sees Barry as an equal. He treats him as an equal cop in this, which I don't think. Yeah, they all work for the police department. a lot, yeah. Because when he's, like, golf pursuing... You know, the, the perpetrator, you know, he's like, Barry, come on, you know, chase him with me, basically. Yeah, I mean, they're there to do a job. Yeah, Barry is the one you want. I mean, I can't, I don't know if you can expect a CSI to be tracking down criminals, but, I, you know, you're getting, you're on the cop payroll, you gotta, gotta do your job. Well, I'm sure I know nothing about being a CSI, except lots of science, I would assume. Um, but, you know, I'm sure there's some kind of m- main, you know, cop training they also have yeah, to go through. Yeah, you still have to go through the police academy <laughs> so i just like that they they took that little detail to kind of just point out that you know barry is a cop too yeah they're all part of the same team yeah. it's another pretty good episode it's um you know we're still in the early stages we were uh, starting to warm up to iris in this episode although i thought eh. luckily they don't let her do too many opening monologues because that was kind of like Nails on a freaking chalkboard. <laughs> I, honestly, Iris is probably the worst part of season one because yeah. she's saddled with the unrequited love of Barry and the the blogging gimmick. Which, I mean, we got to get her into being a reporter, but it's just uh, she's not she's not presented well in the first season, and I'm par- partially due to the fact that that's kind of the constraint that's put on her as a character. She's really not allowed to. I mean, because I mean, when when Barry reveals, you know, when she knows at the end of the season, it just makes things so much easier. You know, it's 
she's she's in on it, which makes it easier to tell stories instead of the hackneyed thing about having the secret identity. And I love the secret. I love having a secret identity for a superhero. Yeah, but um, I mean, the fact that you'd still be hiding it from those closest to you, I get the rationale for it because that's the way it would be in real life. If people knew who you were, they would attack your friends and family. Yeah, but it just. <sighs> But, but I've always maintained at least then they can see it coming and maybe yeah. do something. About and then they have at least have a choice. It's like, well, now that you know, you can continue to be with me. But you know, you know what the yeah, you know what the risks are. Yeah. Um, after seventy years of superhero comics making the female characters look like morons, essentially, mm-hmm. uh, it's just like uh, I'm kind of it's kind of played out. Um, you know, it's the same reason why I'm stoked that Marissa Tomei is Aunt May because. Sweet old gray-haired Aunt May is—it it, just—it's not. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. We all yeah. we all know people that are in their forties, fifties, and sixties that don't look like they're in their fucking nineties. Right? You yeah. know, they're not doddering old people. It just doesn't play. I have anymore. a twenty-three-year-old niece, you know, and I'm forty-eight. So I have a twenty-two-year-old <laughs> nephew. And, <laughs> so and it's like, I, you know, I, I don't look like Uncle Ben. Yes, I'd probably you know do. the rice guy or you know Cliff Robertson. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah. I, I don't know. I, yeah, I just I feel like it's. I'm, I'm just glad there's like no reporters over on Arrow. It just seems like there's this tendency in DC shows. Like, Starlight we have City to have some reporter. Yeah, we we have to have a reporter as one of the team or peripheral to the team. You know, it's almost like uh, Iris has kind of been stuck in this role of being the mini Daily Planet, you know, reporting on well, this with, mysterious with, new hero. Well, that's with Lois Lane and having her have, you know, being a female reporter in the 30s. That was a big deal. Yeah. Oh, shit. By yeah. the time the 60s rolled around and the Silver Age Flash was there, it, not quite as novel, but, you know. It's still important, yeah, but, yeah. you know, it's it's just one of those things that, yeah, they need to, I guess you got to start somewhere. I mean, nobody directly starts working for a newspaper. Well, that's why no. I don't like the transition from, uh, I'm jaded because I actually went to journalism school, and I don't like what they did on Supergirl either, that these people could just show up and, or Daredevil, I'll even say that, Karen Page and Daredevil. You, you shouldn't just be able to show up and all of a sudden be a news reporter. <laughs> no, but we're, this is the world of fantasy, Scott. Yeah, no, it's actually the world of 21st century journalism, which makes it even sadder. Yes, I, I do everybody's, actually like it that... Which is everybody Super, starting a blog and then getting picked up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true, unfortunately. I do like over on Supergirl, though, that they basically have Snapper Carr, who is the editor of the paper on that show. And, yeah, you're not getting anything for free. you got to earn... Yeah, basically. Yeah, kind of saying what I just said. So the, the, they are still, you know, holding the flag a little bit, at least for for real newsmen, I guess. News people, sorry. Well, that just brings it back to Superman, though, too. How many versions of his, when you get, you know, when he goes from Smallville to Metropolis, how many versions have him actually having gone to college and getting any sort of degree that yeah, would lead like to zero, a you know, It's just Super Kryptonian hypnosis. He makes everyone believe. No, I don't. Uh, no, less less Silver Age superpowers. I, I mean, those stories are fun, but yeah, <laughs> when you make Superman able to, you know, blow out a star, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a little much. Now I do love looking at those Silver Age covers. Like, I have to eat all these cheeseburgers, or give me your tears, yeah. Superman. Like that stuff. That stuff's great. Yeah, but um, yeah, in terms of the. You know, the narrative integrity, um, you have to put some limits on Superman. He should still be the strongest person in the DC universe, but 
not uh, not that powerful. <laughs> there, you know, there are other ways to have your ear to the ground, so to speak, instead of being a reporter, which is kind of the main motivation for nowadays, getting into yeah. that line of work. Nowadays, yeah. yeah, but I mean, it makes sense. In the, you know, in the 30s and 40s, if you most of the crime that you'd be you know, uh, dressing as a champion of the oppressed would be in a major metropolitan area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Marvel is not without sin. I mean, Peter Parker That's was the, a teenage uh, photographer for a major freelance newspaper. So. Freelance, freelance. Yeah, best thing for a kid your age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I miss that Jonah. I'm gonna always miss that Jonah. <laughs> I think I think we all will. That was um, I, I love the Raimi Spider Mans. They probably could have been a little funnier, but um, man, what they did with Jonah was great. Now Robbie got the shaft. I was yeah, about that. Robbie's one of the, when when Peter Parker's supporting cast is done right, it's one of the best ones in comic books. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but they never really spend any time at the bugle. You know, not as much. No, as they won't be in the new ones for probably a couple movies at least. I suspect. You know, I, but that's fine. I, oh, that's yeah. I'm not. I'm, glad, I'm at all. glad. I'm glad. There's a teenager playing him in high school. Yeah, that. Most Everybody's complaining about is, why is he back in high school again? Oh, I'm like, fuck that. No, this. We finally got an actor that can. We finally that. have a teenager so playing. <laughs> yeah. So why not? Yeah. Instead of and, a couple of twenty wings. <laughs> And fucking web wings. <laughs> oh, I, oh, I love the suit the so suit so rad. The vulture yeah. looks. I, I showed the I showed the trailer to to Maureen this weekend. Mm-hmm. She goes, "Was that Batman?" I go, "Yeah," and he's playing a bad guy. She's like, "What?" I'm like, "Batman to Birdman to the Vulture, absolutely." <laughs> I'm a little I'm a little bummed he's not playing Norman Osborn. I think given a a, a meaty story arc for. Michael uh, Keaton over a couple of films as Norman Osborn would be awesome, but see, being able to the, the fact that we're not going back to the well with bag as we've already used gives me hope that I'm going to get to see. I think Shocker's in this one too. Yeah, yeah, some version of him. Yep. Yeah, so we got Shocker and Vulture in this, and that means there's hope for me to be able to see Craven in Mysterio. Yeah. And, no, they made the best decision not to go right back to that. I think. I mean, I think well, they I think know. If you're like, gonna follow the comics, he shouldn't even run into the Osborns until he's in college. Right. Yeah. You no, know? that's. Well, they're just luckily it's still in Sony, and I'm sure Marvel probably. I'm sure somebody over there was like, "Oh, we got to do Green Goblin again," you know, in the Marvel style. And they're like, "No, they've been he's been in like what three out of four freaking movies now, or four out of five movies, essentially." Yeah, yeah. It's like, no, no, no. He's, this Spidey's got one of the biggest and most well-known rogues galleries out there. Yeah, no, it's like you want to. Stop playing with some more of those characters. Give me Hydro Man. Yeah, you want to talk about going to the well? The Vulture came first, bitches. Yes, yes, he did. Way, <laughs> way, way early. And the Tinkerer is the in Tinkerer. This too. I'm so down. This is like Spider Man issue two. It's freaking awesome. Yeah, so. yeah, I'm ready way, for it. Bring on, bring on those guys that they haven't used yet. Yeah, you get a lot of mileage before you have to hit Venom and yeah. God forbid Carnage or. I never, never was a huge Venom fan at all. I, it's just the first story. I can't say I read enough to to make that judgment. When, just, when he actually lost the the symbiote and then it came back the first time, yes, that's great. The fact that it turned into like essentially 
symbiote family and shit. Yeah, I'm glad when I when when Venom that. became arch enemy Mark Two, you know, after Ock yeah. and Go- and Goblin, it's like that's just too much. Well, to me, that's just like Superman fighting fucking Zod all the time. It's the same. You're fighting. Just, he's only in a couple of comics. Yeah, I mean, you're just, you're fighting yourself. You know, it, I don't want to see the the hero fight a mirror version of himself psychologically, maybe, but. You know, Batman and Joker don't look alike. Um, no, but their methodologies are the polar opposite. But give me one of the, uh, you know, one of the more... The, the, <laughs> give me a villain that doesn't look like the hero. That's, that's yeah, and if they're going to bring in Norman Osborn again, have Norman like have Norman and Harry, Harry be like a part of Peter's life before things go south. You know, because like, let's be honest, in the Raimi Spider-Man, the first time you see Willem Dafoe, you know he's a bad egg. Like, oh yeah, I know. I don't know, but uh, it's just I'm just I'm excited by all the stuff that's happening now, man. It's yeah, I mean, I've said before, especially with Spider-Man, like, look, you you can get down to the most D-list villain for Spider-Man. I'm still gonna go see a Spider-Man movie because he's my favorite Marvel character. Yes, I think it's but, going to uh, be good. Yes, yes, it is. But let's Back take the rest of that conversation off air. Flash, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Flash, the Flash season one of the Flash is is just a great, strong debut for a show. Um, yeah, I love it. I love it I so much. I do have a similar quibble with the Flash. I do love the show, but I I do worry about, and I guess this is true for the comics. As I said, I haven't read enough of any comics of the regular heroes to make a informed judgment about whether they're doing it right or not, quote-unquote. It goes along the same lines. I don't like the tendency towards everyone being a freaking speedster and all the villains being speedsters. Um, so I get a little bored with reverse Flash stuff after a while. Um, Fair enough. Still sticking with it. But So I almost like when they go to different, you know, Monster of the Week Oh yeah, and, I mean the Flash. You can definitely you know have that where it's Monster of the Week. The show sets it up with the you know the, they have a good balance. You know, even when they're using speedsters, they use other metahumans. You know, yeah. I mean, come on, you can't. How are you going to be mad at the show that actually gave us Grodd? Yeah, and, and you know King Shark or whatever. And King Shark, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and Mark Hamill back as the trickster. I mean, come on. Yeah. Oh, just personal preference stuff. You know, as I said, I know it's so ingrained in his mythology. That they've got they've got plenty of rogues left yeah. that they can use, and they can pull. They're going to continue to pull from DC lore. They need to and, fucking flashpoint know, Captain Cold back. Is what they need to be doing. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be coming back. You can't you can't keep can't keep him down. Uh, anyway, um, I guess that's it for another one. We'll be covering. I guess next, not necessarily next Something. week. Something. We're on to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. season, our episode 12 and Arrow episode 6. We're going to be getting into some more Supergirl. We've got Aaron Henley lined up to want to do some Supergirls with us. Sweet. Um, he wanted to cover one particular episode, which I think we already recorded. Ah, shucks. I'm not sure. but Aaron, let us know the next one you want to do. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we are posting, we do have a Facebook page, and we're posting, I'm trying to post what we're going to be recording weekly at this point, so if anyone does want to join us to talk about them, you know where to find us. Uh, other than that, we have an email, obviously, people email us, David, you're off the hook, 
Uh, so someone else has to pick up the mantle. Uh, we know there's at least two or three other listeners. Come on, guys. Yes. Uh, so it's weeklyheroics at yahoo.com. I'm Scott 2.0. This is Chris Tyler. Yo. And it's Weekly Heroics. Bye now. Hello, everyone. This is your Action News reporter with all the news that is news across the nation on the scene at the supermarket. There seems to have been some disturbance here. Pardon me, sir. Did you see what happened? Yeah, I did. I was standing over by the tomatoes, and here he come, running through the pole beans, through the fruits and vegetables, naked as a jaybird. And I hollered over to Ethel. I said, don't look, Ethel. And it's too late. She'd already been in since. Here he comes. Boogie-dee, boogie-dee. There he goes. Boogie-dee, boogie-dee. And he ain't wearing no clothes. Oh, yes, they call him the street. an audience to be found You'll be speaking it round Inviting public critique This is your Action News reporter once again and we're here at the gas station Pardon me, sir, did you see what happened? Yeah, I did I was just in here getting my car checked and he disappeared out of the traffic Come streaking around the grease right there Didn't have nothing on but a smile I looked in there and Ethel was getting her cold drink I hollered, don't look, Ethel! And it's too late She'd already been mooned. Flashed her right there in front of the shop. So. He ain't rude. Boogity, boogity. He ain't rude. Boogity, boogity. He's just in the mood to ride in the news. Oh, yes, they call him the street. Boogity, boogity. He likes to turn the other cheek. Boogity, boogity. He's always making the news. Wearing just his tennis shoes. Guess you could call him the gym covering the disturbance at the basketball playoff. Pardon me, sir. Did you see what happened? Yeah, I did. Hey, Tom, I was just going down there to get Ethel a snow cone. Here he come, right out of the cheap seat, dribbling, right down the middle of the court. Didn't have on nothing but his head. Made a hook shot and got out through the concession stand. I hollered up at Ethel. I said, don't look, Ethel! It's too late. She'd already got a free shot. Grandstand. Right there in front of the home, hey.